0: Well, it's good to be with you again uh, this morning. Uh, I was thinking during that last song, Nate and, and Keenan are clearly such a, uh, a blessing to us and it just it made me think about gifts. One of the uh, members of our management team, Chuck Bomar, and I were having a conversation and he was talking about gifts and that a gift isn't a gift until it's given to somebody. A- unless it's given to somebody, it's really nothing more than, than a skill set. And what Nate and Keenan just did was give us something. As the body of Christ, as the church, because we are that together, they gave us, they led us as a gift in worship and this opportunity to, to come before God and to worship Him in a way that's really special and unique to our opportunity to do this together on a Sunday gathered. And so, Nathan Keenan, thank you for that. And also, I kind of just want to encourage each of you as well. You have gifts to be given as well. It might not be singing. You don't want me to do that. You don't want me to give you that gift. But you all have your own. That our God, and we're going to read something out of Psalm 139 later, that says, you are wonderfully and remarkably and fearfully made. So the brilliant creator of the universe has given you skill sets that are meant to be used as gifts to the body into the world, and something in my soul this morning just says, don't hold that back. Whatever it is God's made you to do, or the, the multiple things, it's not a gift until it's given, and you're called to give that to somebody in the same way that Nate and Keenan gave this gift of song, of worship, of coming before Jesus this morning. That'll be sermon number one, and we'll get to sermon number two later. Before that, though, about a, uh, about a month ago, I had the opportunity to interview Sky. We all welcome Sky Smith for me. And we've had the opportunity to, to partner Sky for partner with Sky for a couple of years now, and Sky was about to go on a trip to kind of scout and see if Kai Alpha, a college ministry she works with, was going to kind of launch into a new venture and new partnerships, and we spent time praying for Sky that Sunday and then hopefully continuing to pray after that and, and helped fund a, a little bit of that trip. And so I wanted to have Skye back to just tell you a little bit about the trip, what they learned and found out, and what it's going to lead to as we were praying for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, good morning. Um, Thanks so much for having me. First thing, I I really want to say thank you. Um, I know it was kind of a brief Sunday with the college ministry and the schedule we run on. I'm a little bit in and out, um, but nonetheless, you guys are are integrally involved in supporting that that's going on. Um, But I wanted to say thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support, whether you knew you were a part of that or not. Uh, I'm so excited for what this has just seeded. Um, While I was kind of standing in the back during worship, I feel like God just kind of um, man impressed upon me like the, the place where you guys sit now right in this church there was a time before this church when people were praying and Landon and his family and, and um, people who were leading this church were visiting this building and l- there were all kinds of precursors um, to this spot right here this didn't just happen and so what we're hoping and what we're praying is that this trip that I just went on with the Philippines was a precursor that I got to go scout out something that is going to launch into what what we call in Caiaphas a legacy trip that's going to continue on and on um, so I got to go with a couple of women who have um, some contacts out there with ministries. The main focus is there's a slum and a dump ministry, um, and some people that are in some of the worst poverty, certainly that I've ever seen, um, which isn't um, a huge variety, but, um, man, there's something about, I don't know, when you add, like, humidity to something or moisture, like, heat and moisture is way worse than desert heat. It just, I can't handle that, or cold and moisture, Um, and so when there's just this sticky Um, I don't know, sickness and and all the toxicity and everything in these slums and these dumps. And this is where these people live all the time, Uh, going and being able to be a part of supporting that ministry. Um, And then the other one that I kind of got to make connections with and be involved in is one called Rancho. Um, It's Rancho Ni Cristo. It is a rescue home, a safe house up in the mountains in the Philippines for girls who've been rescued out of, um, it's called OSEC, and it is a subcategory of sexual exploitation, um, online sexual exploitation of children, specifically. So there's a lot that I could unpack about that that I didn't know. That was very eye-opening, but I love Barton Jinky. They really see these girls as um, victors and as girls who are being healed from really, really terrible spots. So the vision and the hope in in what I gathered going there um, is that students from here, in Prescott, Arizona, would come with me. We're actually planning a trip in May. um, And we've had trips like this in the past to other countries where year after year after year we return hopefully to catalyze and inspire um, and seed into these ministries that people are doing regardless of whether or not we exist. Um, But we get to partner with them and come alongside them. And so I'm hoping to bring a team of college students in May um, with your guys' prayers and support and that we are going to um, refresh The people who are there, who are on the ground, and also partner with them to bring maybe supplies and materials um, and some structures that they need to continue doing what they're doing.
0: As Sky said, the word legacy, and I reflect on Chi Alpha and and Kevin and Kim and Matt and Maureen Simpson who helped lead Chi Alpha, that that word's used a lot, um, but it is very true sense of Alpha. As I look at the legacy of Kayalpha, I had lunch with somebody who was a part of it for a long time, who's a part of this church, and will be here in the second service, and I think about how they just got back from China serving for two years, and now he's a teacher, and he's in the everyday stuff of life, just serving Jesus and carrying his name, like, when she says legacy, it's true, it's not just an idea or a theory, like, they really do lay a legacy of proclaiming the name of Christ in beautiful ways and where there's injustices such as this. So thank you for taking the time to go on this trip and, and fill us in a little bit. How can sure. we continue to be praying for you mm-hmm. and supporting you?
1: Yeah, so I am going to be um, in the in the lobby after service, probably in close proximity to the coffee, because um, that's important. And yeah. so And donuts. And donuts. Um, but if you guys have um, any questions, whether it's about um, Chi Alpha, I, I am on a supported position in Chi Alpha and always um, looking for long-term ministry partners individually and then also um, like I said we're doing this return trip in May so there's going to be materials and supplies to get us there if you would like to partner individually no matter what we appreciate your gifting as the church um, and then come and ask questions and and, and hear stories and everything of, of ways you can pray like I said so that this would be a legacy
0: beautiful Will you guys thank Sky for me So Sky will be in the lobby by the donuts and coffee, where we all like to be, and I would encourage you just to have a conversation with her. We uh, do support her as a church financially, so part of your your gifts and offerings go to support Kai Alpha and Sky. Uh, but I would love for you to consider going above and beyond that because she has to raise support outside of this. Uh, to support that next trip and to support giving her the opportunity to do what she does because she does it really well. And I didn't think about this until now, but she is good at giving the gifts God has given her to the body of Christ. And so we want to continue to support that. Uh, A couple other announcements. Uh, This afternoon at 4 p.m. in the studio for the families left that have not fallen to sickness, which is going rapidly by the minute... (laughs) Um, We are going to be hosting, and by we I mean Whitney because she's amazing, an uh, Advent event. And really what's going to happen is at the end of this event you'll be working with your kids if you've got younger kids to uh, put together kind of a package and a guide to guide you through the Christmas and Advent season. And so if you're looking for ways to go, how do I lead my family to be focused on Christ during this season, Whitney's done a lot of work. And Robert jokingly sent me a text at like 11 p.m., which I was asleep. Robert is Whitney's husband on Friday. and He's like, I'm going to send in a Whitney's resignation letter for her because I'm up all night doing the ornaments and everything. So <laughs> thank Robert because we don't want Whitney to resign. Um, but they, they put in a lot of work. I, I'm, I will be there because I just value what Whitney's done. And it's going to be helpful for me to guide my family through this season uh, with our kids. So 4 p.m. in the studio back there. Come back, there will be hot chocolate, we'll make ornaments together, and then you'll receive a whole guide for a daily activity and way of approaching the season together. I want to take a minute now to show you a video that uh, Emily Betzler from Bot Beautifully uh, sent to us. They will be here in just a few weeks. I think it's December 13th. And we're really excited to partner with them again uh, they do also incredible work and are good at giving gifts to the body and a lot of what they do helps to avoid what Sky is going to uh, to work against. Their ability to provide dignifi- dignified employment through our purchases, especially as we get into the Christmas season, keeps people from sexually exploitive and other types of undignified. Employment, And so go ahead and, and watch this video, and then we're going to ask that you be a part uh, of serving and helping when this weekend comes along. There's one small caveat. I am terrible with technology. And so Emily sent me this video just from her iPhone, and it was straight up. For some reason, it's sideways now, and I don't know how to fix it. So just listen. <laughs> <coughs>
2: Hello, Restoration Church. This is Emily from Bought Beautifully, and we are so excited to join you in a few short weeks for our holiday pop-up market. We just wrapped up our local market here, and God did incredible things. You guys, we had hundreds of people come through the doors from all walks of life, all walks of faith, all who wanted to use their Christmas gifting to make positive impacts on the world. And it was so exciting. It was such a beautiful picture of what the body of Christ um, looks like. We had over 50 volunteers who came together to give their time and money or money and energy to this event um, to support our partners around the globe who are being the hands and feet of Christ, who are ultimately working to build up and support um, communities to help them experience the love of God in ways that they wouldn't otherwise. So it was just so cool to see all the different pieces of the puzzle come together um, and then have this beautiful event. And we are so excited to bring it to you. So we will be there December 13th and we need your help. So there's postcards and posters to share. There'll be a Facebook event that's going live um, today or tomorrow. And then of course we need volunteers' manpower to help make the event happen. So if you are interested, we would love to have you. You can chat with Kimberly after the service. Um, And if you missed what it is, Bought Beautifully is a marketplace that transforms lives. And we're a ministry that you at Restoration partner with. And what we do is we partner with ministries all around the globe who are living out God's call to love. And they are doing that by providing dignified jobs to um, communities and individuals who wouldn't have them otherwise. So um, we curate these products. We bring them to you so you can use your Christmas gifting to really... um, share God's love to spend your money in ways that impact the world, that uh, provide pathways out of poverty, that provide hope and opportunity. So we can't wait to see you. Let us know if you have questions. Landon and Kimberly can direct you to us. We would love to get you involved. Thanks.
0: By next service, she might be straight up. That would be a positive. (laughs) If someone smarter than me can figure these things out. I really, really do believe in what Emily and Colin are doing and and hope and pray and plan on this being a long-term partnership and uh, year after year, hopefully, uh, being a part of this event because it really does preview the reign of Jesus. It does preview the hope that we have in his name alone. And so we need a lot of help and we'd love for you to consider helping us with that. A few ways you can do that, either come to me at the end of the gathering or Nate. Uh, Kimberly will be by the uh, donuts and coffee. There will be a lot happening there. You can talk to Kimberly as well. Or grab one of the Get Connected cards in the blue chairs or in the back of the room and just write bot Beautifully. And we'd love to connect you with uh, Emily and Colin. They'll be here in two weeks to start preparing for the event for a whole week. And then three weeks from now, we'll we'll have the actual event during Acker uh, weekend. Lastly, Kimberly, who some of you know, she is on staff part-time as well. Uh, She is also on staff at CFC, Christian Family Care, a, a foster and adoption agency. And we, I have mentioned for a little while, will be hosting their Christmas party in this room. And so it's not for their staff Christmas party. This is the Christmas party for... All of their adoptive and foster families. And so they're they're expecting somewhere between 30 and 50 families to be in here celebrating the name of Jesus as they're seeking to bring a wholeness and restoration uh, from the the brokenness in this world in the area of family, which is really significant. And so uh, we're excited to partner with them as well the same weekend. Uh, I need volunteers as well for that. I kind of view this weekend as our one big weekend to be all hands on deck, and we as a church are really going to be giving. We talk often about this transition from being graspers to once we really know who Christ is, we become givers. And so on that weekend, we're kind of an all hands on deck for Acker, for CFC, which will be Saturday morning, I think December 12th, and then for Bot Beautifully as well. So again, you can fill out a Get Connected card talk to me or talk to Kimberly, but we really want to serve people well that weekend as we prepare to and continue to celebrate our Savior. I think that's it. Did I get everything, Nate? Yes? Beautiful. All right, let's talk about Esther. We are in our third week of Esther and running a little late, so I'm going to go quick. This is our uh, third week, as I mentioned. In the, the past couple weeks, as we've kind of introduced the book of Esther, we've talked about this theme that in order to understand Esther and what it's really about, we have to understand what the Bible as a whole is about, and sometimes to do that, we have to understand what it's not about, and so it's not about some great people that we should be like, some good leaders and and godly people. It's not about morals or values, and these are some things that we should aspire to, it's certainly in there. It's not about just some good, crazy stories, it's about Yahweh God, who is always faithful, perfectly loving, and continuously in control. And, and the entirety of the scriptures kind of contrasts God's people as unfaithful and God as unfaithful. But he continues to be there for them throughout the entire process and time. And so that takes us up to the book of Esther where we're going to find a similar theme. Or, or the name of God will not be mentioned. But what we're going to learn and, and witness and, and kind of have handed down to us through their experiences. Is that even where his name's not written, even where his name isn't known, or it's rebelled against and rejected, our God is still in control. So this morning we're going to continue that theme through Esther, but we're going to add two parts to this. Even when life isn't the way it was meant to be, God is still in control, he is good, and he is working. Even when life is not the way it's meant to be, God is still in control. He is good, and he is working. And, and that's what I think uh, our passage in Esther will show us this morning. Kate, it's chapter 2, verse 5 through 22. Sorry. All right, we're going to start with this. Even when life is not the way it's meant to be or will be. The, the reality as we read the scriptures and, and live this life. We have to recognize that God has a specific way of life he created us for. A specific way of life that he died on the cross and rose again to save and that he will come back to reign in. There, there's a certain way that life is supposed to be and therefore there's ways that life is not supposed to be. We, we talk often about or use the language of becoming human the way we were made to be. And so our, our main point this morning is even when life, or starts with this statement, even when life is not the way it's meant to be, and you probably know what that looks like. What we talked about a few of the ways just a minute ago. It's why Sky went on this trip. It's why Bot Beautifully does what it does. It's why CFC does what it does as an organization. Because there's injustices, there's oppression. There's parts of this life that are not as God designed them to be. God has a specific intent. It's good. It's what he said over and over again in, in Genesis. It's filled with love and the laughter of children and delicious meals especially Mexican food. It's filled with going to a wedding ceremony and watching a couple take vows at a young age and then getting to witness uh, another couple who's celebrating their 50th anniversary and there's unity and faithfulness and something holistic and there's family and there's celebration and there's music and a voice and experiences like we had this morning where we're worshiping and it's good. There's culture and art and industry and business. It's everything that is supposed to be. Everything that is good comes from the Father, and this is a part of his intent. This is humanity, the way it was designed to be and the way Jesus saved it to be. And then there's, there's a contrasting side of life. There's brokenness. There's the brutal. There's death and sickness. There's pain. There's injustices and oppression. There's manipulation and lying and deceit, corruption, corruption. On small scales and families and homes individually and on large scales with nations and the world. And, and we know the world is not as it was meant to be. You've experienced that. And, and what we're going to see this morning is that Esther certainly experienced that as well. Uh, I'm going to start reading in Esther chapter 2 verse 5. And, and I'm going to highlight uh, four ways and I think nine verses that Esther was experiencing life the way it was not meant to be beginning in verse 5 in the fortress of susa there was a jewish man named mordecai son of jer son of shimei son of kish a benjaminite he had been taken into exile from jerusalem with the other captives when king nebuchadnezzar of babylon took king jeconiah of judah into exile there's our first way here's a couple keywords. he had been taken exiled with the other captives All right, we can skip over these details pretty easily because Esther kind of has the uh, uh, appeal of a glamorous, redemptive story centered on a cool beauty pageant, which it's not. And by the way, I should mention in this sermon, there will be a few things that are probably hard to hear and maybe age-sensitive regarding what Esther goes through. So it won't be super explicit, but I am gonna say what actually happened. So there's a little mental note for you if you wanna do something about that. You have about five or 10 minutes. I meant to say that up front and I forgot. Here's the first thing, right? Exiles taken captives. It's not just a beautiful story. They're ripped away. Mordecai's ripped away from his home, probably through violence. He probably watched the the murder of family members and friends. They're they're taken from everything they have, and he's taken into another land where they have to function in a world they don't understand. That's not good. That's not healthy. That's not beautiful. That's very broken and beautiful, or excuse me, broken and brutal, and not the way that life is meant to be. And this is just the first thing we're going to see. Verse 7, Mordecai was the legal guardian of his cousin, Hadassah, that is Esther, because she didn't have a father or a mother. She's a captive in exile in another land, and she doesn't have a father or a mother. That's also not the way it's meant to be. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was extremely good looking. When her father and mother died, death is not the way it's meant to be. Mordecai had adopted her as his own daughter. When the king's command and edict became public knowledge, many young women gathered at the fortress of Susa under Higai's care. Esther was also, what's the word, taken to the palace and placed under the care of Higai, who was in charge of the women. The young woman pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. He assigned seven hand-picked female servants to her from the palace and transferred her and her servants to the harem's best Quarters. Okay, at an initial reading, this doesn't sound terribly awful. It's kind of like she gets a half-year-long spa day at the Hilton Resort or something like this with seven people that are going to serve her, but that's not what's happening. Verse 10, Esther did not reveal her ethnic background or her birthplace because Mordecai had ordered her not to. Why? Because racism was running rampant at this time and place. So she has no parents. She's taken as captive in exile. And she's abused and oppressed because of her skin color and ethnicity and their culture. Life is not the way it is meant to be as we read the book of Esther. Every day Mordecai, verse 11, took a walk in front of the harem's courtyard to learn how Esther was doing and see what was happening to her. During the year before each young woman's turn to go to King Xerxes, the harem regulation required her to receive beauty treatments with oil of myrrh for six months, and then with perfumes and cosmetics for another six months. When the young woman would go to the king, she was given whatever she requested to take with her from the harem to the palace. She would go in the evening, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem under the supervision of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She never went to the king again unless he... Desired her and summoned her by name. And so this leads us to the fourth really great injustice and moment of oppression. She is now forced into a sexual relationship with the king where she is one of many and treated as nothing more than someone to please the king whenever he summons her. This is not a beauty pageant. Oh, she's beautiful, how good for Esther. No, she's forced into a sexual relationship where there is abuse and she, she has no choice. She goes into this and after the one time, her, her life could be as good as done unless he summons her back. That is not the way that life is meant to be. That is not the way that life is meant to be. Again, we say human the way we are made to be. A lot here every week. Because we're looking at our God as creator. And he designed it a specific way. Uh, Our God as savior who saved us for something. He didn't just save us from hell. He saved us for life in a specific kind. And he's going to come again and and be king and lead us in that. We have five elder candidates right now at, at Restoration Church who will probably be placed January or February, somewhere in that timeline, which I am really thankful for and excited about the ways God's providing for this church. And they've been working on this document, and I want to read part of it to you, titled it Human, the Way We Were Made to Be, and look at just four different categories that paint just a small picture, a little description of how we consider human the way we were made to be. This is going to contrast a lot of what we experience at times. This is going to contrast what Esther was going through. And the first part of this is that we were made with a specific identity. Let me read some of these to you. We were made in the image of God. We were made to worship God. We were made wonderfully with love. And we were made to be in relationships. Next, attributes we were made for. We were made for love. We were made to value others as created and loved by God. Almost all injustices start when we start valuing people as less than people and not as those created in God's image. We were made to put the interest of others before ourselves. We were made to serve others and not ourselves. We can go ahead and go to the next. We were made to care. We were made for joy. We were made for good. We were made to be faithful, to be gentle, to be generous, and to be self-controlled. We were made to be hospitable. We were made to be free of guilt and shame, which I'm sure Esther felt. Free of anxiety, which I have no doubt she was experiencing. Free of fear, free of abuse, free of manipulation. And we were made to be free of oppression. Realities we were made for. We were made for peace, for justice. We were made to seek the welfare of our family, our neighborhood, and our city. We were made for order. We were made for progress and to celebrate. We were made to rest and to flourish. We were made to have hope and to be whole. Lastly, purposes we were made for. We were made to make a contribution that extends beyond our lifetime. We were made to create and enjoy work. We were made to cultivate and flourish. We were made to collaborate for the common good. As we said earlier, we were made to seek the welfare of our city, family and neighborhood. Paints just a small picture. And so you can think for just a moment about your life, and I'm going to categorize this in two different ways. There's the broken and there's the beautiful, there's the good and the bad. I like to think of it in this way, though. There's what will not be a part of Jesus' reign as king here on Earth. That's the broken. And there's what will remain as part of Jesus' kingdom here on earth. When he reigns as king, he will rid the world of certain things, sin, death, destruction, disease, oppression, manipulation, the things we're to be free of. And he will establish a perfect world where he reigns, where other things will be a part of it. And so in your life, you have both. You have things that will not be a part of Jesus' kingdom and and things that will be a part of Jesus' kingdom. So stop for, for just a second this morning and think about it. What in your life will be a part of Jesus' kingdom when he returns? good and whole and right? What were you made for? And sometimes we can't do anything about it often, but what are the things that will not be a part of his kingdom? Things that will be no more. Sometimes having hope is understanding what will and won't be a part of Jesus' reign. 1 Peter 3.15 talks about this. You may have read this, uh, this verse before. It says this. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. Now there's a very important premise to this verse which gets quoted and memorized a lot. And here's the premise. When you are suffering and experiencing life the way it was not meant to be. The the premise is this, that people will not understand as you go through hard things and life as it was not intended to be, it will not make sense to them how you actually still have joy and hope because it doesn't correlate. And so the reason that you need to be prepared to give an answer or defense for the hope that you have is because people will ask you when they go, I don't understand how you can still have hope when you're going through this or that brokenness. And there's one reason. Because though life in that instance, in this moment, is not the way it was meant to be, that is not the way that life will be. Though in this moment life is not the way it is meant to be, oftentimes, that is not the way that life will be when Jesus returns. Listen to to the rest of this passage. I'm going to start in verse 8. Now finally, all of you should be like-minded and sympathetic should love believers and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you can inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit, and he must turn away from evil and do what is good. He must seek peace and pursue it. This is encouraging because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their requests. God listens and he hears. And this part's not encouraging. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Actually, that is encouraging. Because there's oppression and evil that needs to be dealt with. And God is working. Verse 13. And who will harm you if you are deeply committed to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear or be disturbed. But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are accused, (coughs) when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God after being put to death in the fleshly realm, but made alive in the spiritual realm. In that state, he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while an ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now that he has gone into heaven, he is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Here's what this is saying. Here's how we can have hope. Because nothing is above Jesus. And nobody is above Jesus. We read last week out of Colossians that he triumphed over them. Them being sin, death, sin, and Satan. That there is no power or dominion or principality of which does not have to submit to the name of Jesus. And so, what we do is we can have hope even when, as in the case of Esther and many of your lives, life is not the way it's meant to be because we know it will not be that way always because of the name of Jesus, because he is Lord and Savior. I actually believe that. Do you? Do you actually believe that? And it's okay to question, to doubt, and to have wonder wonder but we can have real hope in this world even when it's not the way it's meant to be because we know that's not the way it always will be because Jesus is coming again back to Esther so how can we have that hope there's a few things we need to hold on to we'll wrap up with these three points even when life isn't the way it was meant to be Yahweh is still in control Look at the the favor that Esther receives. We'll begin in in verse 9. Even in the midst of life, not the way it's meant to be. Look at what she experiences. Verse 9 says this. The young woman pleased him and gained his favor so that he accelerated the process of the beauty treatments and the special diet that she received. He assigned seven hand-picked female servants to her from the palace and transferred her and her servants to the harem's best quarters. She receives favor. In verse 9. Verse 9. We look again at verse 15. 15 Esther was the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had adopted her as his own daughter. When her turn came to go to the king, she did not ask for anything except what he got. The king's trusted official in charge of the harem suggested. Esther won approval in the sight of everyone who saw her. Verse 17. The king loved Esther more than all the other women. She won more favor and approval from him than did any other young woman woman. He placed the royal crown on her head and made her queen in place of Vashti. Verse 18, the king held a great banquet for all his officials and staff. It was Esther's banquet. He freed his provinces from tax payments and gave gifts worthy of the king's bounty. Now, is this all just dumb luck or just a coincidence? No. The God who's not even named in this book is in control, giving his favor to Esther for her sake, and then we'll find out later also for the sake of this entire nation. Even when life is not the way it was meant to be, which is clearly the case and what Esther is enduring, God is still in control. Next, even when life is not the way it's meant to be, God is still good. This one might be the hardest to grasp. As we go through challenging moments, and we all do, and, and brokenness. Sometimes it can be really hard to go, God, are you actually good? How could you let this happen? How could you do this? God, why do you not hear or listen or care? Do we actually believe that God is good even in those deep, dark moments? The thing is this, though, that God knows you better than you know yourself. He's known you longer than you've known you. And he loves you more than you love yourself, which I always joke is an awful lot. Psalm 139 paints this this picture so beautifully for us. I'm going to read it. It won't be on the screen. Just listen to this, and I hope you're encouraged by it. Lord, David says, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This extraordinary knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. There's nowhere you will go, can go, or or more so, nowhere you can be taken where God will not be with you and having your best interests in mind. Verse 13, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how difficult your thoughts are for me to comprehend how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, I don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. And here's the closing. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God knows you better than you know yourself. He also loves you more than you love you. I want to read from 1 Peter 3.15 again. We we read this earlier. Here's what it says. For Christ also suffered. Oh, where would it go? I'm sorry. You had it right. I had it wrong. Never trust me. There we go. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. We talked about this last week. What God does that. What God leaves his throne in heaven to give up his life on a cross in the form of a human for us who rebelled and rejected him. That kind of love does not make sense. You remember that list earlier that we talked about, being human the way we're made to be, that the the elders are working on. One of the elders wrote this conclusion, and I I think it's just, it's beautiful. It sums up this verse. He wrote this. All of these things, the list, that we were made for, we have fallen short of. But the good news is that God, our creator, has not left us alone. He so loved us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do what we could not do. He has lived the life on earth that we were called to live and has done all these things for us. Jesus never went his own way as we have. But followed after everything that the Father instructed him to do, including dying on a cross. His death and resurrection paid the penalty for us going our own way, being our own God. His body broken and pierced through so that our broken body could be made new, a new creation. The good news, through Jesus Christ, there is a new way to live if we believe in Jesus Christ by faith, our broken bodies will become beautiful, and all these things—the list—are added onto us when He returns. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. John three seventeen. God knows you better than you know yourself, and He loves you enough to give up His life for you on a cross. He knew you before you knew yourself, and he died for you. That's pretty significant. None of us have died for ourselves. Jesus will provide. Jesus will provide. It might not be in the way you want him to provide. It might not be in the timing that you want him to provide, but he will provide out of love out of knowing you better than you know yourself and out of loving you more than you even love yourself. Jesus will provide. And know this, Satan, in the midst of the moments when life is not the way it's meant to be, will do everything in his power, and he does have power and a lot of it, just not nearly as much as Jesus, to get you to point the finger at him, just like Adam. To say, did God really say, does God really know? No. God knows that if you do this, if you reach out and grab this, if you become a grasper instead of a giver, then you'll be like him. So God's holding back. Satan gets us to point the finger at Jesus instead of recognizing that his love is perfect, that he's faithful, and that he's always in control. Even when life isn't the way it was meant to be, Jesus is working. That's so clear in the the book of Esther. This makes no sense. She's a captive. She's in exile. Her mom and dad are dead. She's forced into this, this horrendous relationship and situation. Yet God is working for her and through her. In fact, so much so that in the, the next chapter, we're going to read that a date is set to which her entire family, this whole nation that we started this story with, That God made a promise to Abraham that they would grow into a mighty nation with a land that was promised to be a blessing to all people, right? And that people's unfaithful, but God's faithful. And they face extinction again and again. Well, there's a literal date set in chapter 3 of Esther. That the entire empire, the whole world, shall go kill all of the Jewish people on this date. That's what's going to happen in the next chapter. But little do their enemies know there's now a Jewish queen who's hidden her identity, and they don't know she's Jewish, who just might have something to do with it, because the God whose name is not known is in control, is good, and is always working. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you are always in control, that you are always good, and that you are always working. God, in the midst of our our greatest moments, may we remember that you are in control, not us, that you are good and the one providing and that you are working. In the midst of our broken moments, may we remember that you're still in control then, that you are good and you are returning and that you are working right now. God, whatever we are going through individually in this room and as a church and collectively in our city and our nation and our world, we, we lay it before you. We're dependent on you. We know that you are good and that you are in control. We ask that you lead every part of our lives. Protect us from the enemy's deceit. Overwhelm us with who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, as we continue to worship, we always continue our worship in three ways. In reflection, by taking communion, if you're a follower of Christ and a giving. And so the first way is through reflection. Reflect on, on your life and what will be a part of the reign of Jesus when he returns and on what isn't. And on what isn't, know that that is not the way that it will be because Jesus is indeed the Lord. Reflect on how he's in control, even in this moment. How he is good, even in this moment. You just might not understand it. And that he is working right now. And then we take communion, whether that's individually, whether that's with your family or maybe your community. And as we take communion, what we're doing is remembering Jesus. Again, that he is in control, that he is good and that he's working. That there is no power above him and so as you take the bread and you dip it into the cup, we remember his sacrifice and his love. Know that you are loved. And as we take and consume of the bread and the cup, know that he is with you and for you. There is power in communion because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. His name is powerful. And then lastly, we give. Again, we give with our hands open and facing up saying God you are in control and my life all of it including my finances are better off in your hands and so as a practice we give to say God you are God." and so there's two boxes for giving in the back of the room or there's instructions on how to give online at restorationaz.org but restoration is is a part of our, our practice or excuse me giving is a part of our practice of worship so let's
1: continue to worship now in our response